dancing for three seconds. October 14th, Thursday. I'm Guy Adami. I'm here with Dan Nathan, and this is Market Call. For those of you playing our home game, 11 a.m. every Thursday, we're breaking down a macro call. We're going to highlight the biggest analyst calls of the week. We have the best new segment. I think it's the best new segment called Trade Off. And of course, my man, John Butters, won for the road. But today, folks, special guest. And that guest is Liz Young. You see her on CNBC. She's head of investment strategy at SoFi. And joining us for the second week in a row, second week, that's a trend, folks. And Carter can chart that. The great Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Charting. And by the way, I mean, this is crazy. Extra added bonus. We'll have an extra surprise at the bottom of the hour. That would be 1130. A double header for you. So you baseball fans, stick around. The Brewers are out, by the way. We'll talk to Liz about that. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, of course, our friends at Open Exchange, because, Dan, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top company around the world. Uh, my God, that's a lot for me to say. How are you, Dan Nathan? I'm doing great, guy. Take a breath here. Take a drink. Do whatever it is that you need to do to get recharged here. That was an awful lot. But there's a lot going on in the markets, man. And I got to tell you, like today, as we are doing this recording, I mean, the market's ripping here. Ripping. And not for any specific reason one way or another. You and I have been discussing this kind of one step forward, two steps back action we've been over the last month here. And we're going to hit some charts later, obviously, but it really felt like that downtrend that we've been in in the major averages in the S&P 500 in the NASDAQ, we just gapped above that. And so that's going to be a really interesting sort of setup as we get deeper into Q3 earnings season. Well, as you know, I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan, Dan Nathan, and their last studio album was In Through the Outdoor. And as I like to say, one of the best songs on that album, potentially one of the best Led Zeppelin songs is All of My Love. And one of the lines in that song is, one voice is clear above the din. I encourage you all to Google what din means while we bring in that voice, Liz Young. Liz, how are you? You made a great year-end market call. This is what you named it. No ace left in the hole. I dig that. How are you, Liz Young? I'm great. I think that's the third time you've introduced me with that lyric See from that? a Led Zeppelin song. Well, it's true. I, <laughs> I, did that I mean, that's a trend. Two years that's a trend. Ago. But it's true. But but it is, is it am I speaking falsehoods here? Are you one of oh, those? No, I voices? don't deny it. I love it. That's I, why the I great Anthony so. Noto like so. tapped you for SoFi. So <laughs> speak to this. I know Dan Nathan has some uh, comments as well, but we read your piece. I think you make a lot of great points. The key point is the following. Go ahead, Liz. So the title of it, No Ace Left in the Hole, is I had to sit back in the last couple of weeks and think to myself, you know, I was positive into year end. I was pretty positive into year end thinking, we'll rally into the end of the year. Holiday season is going to be great. And then I started to make a list of, all right, why am I positive? How can I prove that out? And I'm not going to lie, there, there weren't a lot of things on that list. And I started to make a list of the negatives and that list was a lot longer. So the biggest point there is people are comparing this to last year. We talk about fall as a really volatile period that clearly has been the case already this year. But then usually the assumption is that it stops at the end of October. The volatility stops at the end of October and then November and December are pretty good, which is what happened last year. But the issue here this year is that if you remember what happened last year, we had a tiny presidential election, something that mm -hmm. occurred uh, in early November, we finally got past that. 
And then shortly thereafter, a vaccine came out, got approved, right? So we had two big aces in the whole last year that took us into a really strong rally through the end of the year. We don't have anything that's coming down the pike, at least not that I'm aware of, or that we're waiting for that's going to remove some of this uncertainty. So that's my issue with thinking, all right, yep, everything's going to be behind us because it's just a seasonal trend. I don't know that that's a seasonal trend. I think there are really some legs to the volatility that's happened. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Liz, and you and I have had this conversation offline and online. I think we talk a lot. You you join us on our Twitter spaces, and we've been very fortunate to have you join us on, on the tape on our podcast. Um, you know, one of the biggest themes of this year, at least in the U.S. stock market, has been rotations, right? And so when you think about at the highs, just a little more than a month ago, the S&P 500 was up a little more than 20% on the year. And I think that back then, you know, before people were really starting to weigh some of those head wins that you're making your list of, it looked like it was kind of all systems go. But what we've seen is kind of these continued rotations. It was kind of out of growth and maybe more into cyclicals and energy and that sort of thing. How has that kind of played into this call that you're basically saying, if we were to go back and touch the 200-day moving average of the S&P 500, that would be about a 10% peak to trough decline, but it still places up 11% on the year here. So to speak to a little bit about how rotations factor into that and are some sectors set up better than others into year end yeah okay so let's do let's do the numbers real quick if we and now today obviously a big green day so it's yeah. it's tough to make a bad call on a day that's really strongly positive but i'm sticking with it so if we let's say we touch the 200 day moving average that's about 5.5 to 6 percent down from here from this current level even if we stayed there for the rest of the year didn't have any more gain after that we'd be up 10.9 percent calendar year, which as we all know, is higher than average. So nothing to be upset about, right? So even if I'm negative on the fourth quarter, we still end the year pretty good in my worst case scenario. Now, if we recover some of that back, which I think we will, we'd probably end a little bit higher than the 200 day moving average. It's the sectors that drive it up that are going to feel like real workhorses. And what I mean by that is when we had the rotation that happened in spring, we went from cyclicals back into technology, right? We went back into mm -hmm. the FANG names and we had those big cap tech names that led through summer. If those names aren't the ones in the spotlight, all the other stocks that are smaller weights in the index have to work that much harder. They may be posting great results. It may be a, a friendly economic environment, but they have to work really hard to make that big of a gain in the broad index. So that's why even a bounce off the bottom in those cyclical sectors, things like financials, industrials that are trading close to their 200 day as well and even utilities in some regards if you look at materials i think might be something that is going to be pressured into year end but those real cyclical names and financials and industrials could do well it's just that they have to do really well to make up for tech not being the leader Liz, there are a number of different inputs that go into making a forecast for the s p 500 obviously um the multiple of which the earnings is going to be based on is a big part of that. As rates have been going higher here, uh, do you have to sort of ratchet down that multiple or does that not get um, to be a concern until we're significantly higher than, let's say, 2% in the 10-year? Well, you can answer that question one of two ways. We can answer it about the 10-year or we can answer it about inflation. So the answer about if we, if we take inflation first if you look at the year-over-year -year CPI, if you can see over history, so this is quarterly results going back to 1950, when CPI is between zero and 2%, the average multiple on the S&P is about 18.1 times. You move that range up to four to 6% and the multiple compresses about three points, so down to 15.1.
Okay. So we've been above that 4% mark now for the sixth month in a row. And I don't think we're going below it anytime soon. So the multiple should compress as inflation rises. The curious thing is that the 10 year hasn't really risen along with it. I think that's coming, right? I don't think it's going to spike up. I'd like to see the 10 year take the stairs instead of the elevator up. But I think it does rise through the end of the year as it should, right? I think we can handle 175 by the end of this year. I think we could knock on two's door in the first quarter of next year. And the market's probably okay with that. I think it becomes a problem when we get in that two and a half to 3% range, especially if it happens before the Fed has lifted off of zero. So that's really what we have to watch. And I think that's the big question mark in 2022. Yeah. So Liz, you know, you've been generally very constructive on stocks here. So do you remain constructive into 2022, even if you think that this taper is on pace to start, let's say over the next couple of months, and then maybe some of those rate hike expectations get moved forward? Do you think the market, the fundamentals, maybe even we get some of the lost, you know, we, we've been talking about it, you know, GDP growth expectations have been coming down for Q3 and a little bit for Q4. Maybe we get that back in 2022. So are you pretty optimistic about the, the new year? Year and how we kind of are set up for stocks next year? Yeah, I mean, I am optimistic. And, and despite the call of saying, I don't think we hit a new high this yeah. year, I do think we hit new highs in 2022. Mm -hmm. Also, I do think the Fed tapers, no matter what, I think they're tapering, that, that's not changed. I actually think they might have to speed up the taper when we start 2022. So maybe they start at that $15 billion a month level that they kind of messaged. I bet when we get into 2022, if inflation is still hot, they have to speed up the taper in order to try to cool it off. But looking at market performance in 2022, I think it's going to be fine. It's just that we have to get through some of this mud before we see that happen. Now, GDP growth, yes, has been revised down. It's also just been pushed out, right? So yep. the Fed revised theirs down and then they revised up for 2022. You see just kind of this, this wait and see. Yes, it's going to be strong, but it's not going to be strong until later. As far as rate hikes go, I think the original estimate of saying we weren't gonna raise at all until 2023 was a little ridiculous. I mean, I don't think we could have waited that long anyway. So it needed to be pulled forward into 2022. September might be a little soon, um, but I do think they're gonna have to raise rates before the end of next year. Liz, you and I both share the same fate in that both our teams are now eliminated from postseason play in uh, Major League Baseball. <laughs> it means you'll have more time to do more of your extraordinarily thoughtful work. Where can we find you on Twitter? And where can we look for your weekly pieces from SoFi? You can find me on Twitter at Liz Young Strat. And there is a blog section newly minted today, actually, just for investment strategy content on the SoFi website. So if you go to the SoFi website on the blog, just click on investment strategy and every single weekly column is there. Looking forward to it. This ain't your halftime report, sister. So thanks for joining <laughs> us. It's been a lot of fun. Go do your thing. Liz Young, it's been great having you. We will certainly have you back. Thank Andy, you. You heard what she had to say. Listen, chart here thanks, speaks Liz. for itself. This downtrend still seemingly intact. Obviously, today is a bit of an outlier. Um, thoughts on the S&P 500? Yeah, let's just rip through these really quickly here, Guy. I used the SPY. Did you notice what I did this week? On you these, changed these it beautiful, up. You changed these, it up, Dan. Yeah, these beautiful FactSec charts here. I used the SPY um, because, you know what, I've been trading. This volatility has actually been a kind of trader sort of dream here because we've just kind of been on those, you know, bottom left, upper right sort of situations here. So it's really nice to get that. I mean, listen, that downtrend is pretty obvious. We'll let Carter speak broadly about what he's seeing in the major indices. You know, that 200-day moving average is kind of lining up with that mid-June 
June low. That's when we were still having those kind of Delta variant scares and what it meant for economic growth. And it's really interesting at that low in June, when you draw that horizontal line to the rising 200 day moving average, I mean, that was really when GDP estimates were so much higher, guy. You know what I mean? So it's just interesting to think that we're still much higher than in the markets. Rates are higher, but growth expectations are lower. So if we fail here on that downtrend, I think we're going back to that 200 day. But let's look at the NDX, the NASDAQ, the QQQ that tracks it here. And this is the one that back in March, you know, this thing went basically unchanged on the year after it kind of got out of the gates pretty hot here, nearly touched its 200 day back then. You see where the breakout was from June to new all time highs. That's the rising 200 day there. Also above a little bit with today's gap, that downtrend, I really think that, you know, earnings season is going to be really interesting. You saw how some of these bank stocks have acted this week so far with some kind of funny results, if you will. It's interesting, Dan. I, you know, just when you think you're a one-trick pony, and you know the the you bring the the SPY, you bring the QQQ instead yeah, of the but... NDX, and now you're bringing the IWM instead of the RTY. Look at this, bro. I mean, you're talking my language now. Quickly, I'll talk about this. I've said it a number of times. Extraordinarily defined range since early this year, basically since February of this year. The range continues to get more and more narrow. It's be interesting to see. Do we break to the upside on higher rates with these economically sensitive names or are those higher rates going to sort of throw a monkey wrench in this whole thing and we break to the downside? I think I know what's going to happen, but doesn't know doesn't really matter what I think the market will dictate. Thoughts quickly on the IWM. Yeah, I mean, that one, I mean, listen, this is the one that, you know, I really want to hear from Carter what he thinks, which way this breaks, because I do think, and you've said this numerous times on Fast Money Guy, you think ultimately after all this tension building, it could lead the, the, the large cap indices if we get a clear sense of kind of how those stocks in the small cap land that are very cyclically sensitive or economically sensitive, how they act here. So this one tensions building people there's going to be a little of excitement here tension is building you know where tensions building for me as well as in this 10 year which traded north of 161 i think we got up to 163 or so briefly obviously as we sit here right now i think we're on the side of 153 so it's pulled back a bit i think you would submit we probably exhausted the move to the upside i still think there's room and I think everything is predicated off of this. What are your thoughts here in the 10-year yield, Dan? Yeah, I'm just surprised how it acted this week, the yield. You know, it traded, like you said, 162. We had that CPI data, um, maybe not as hot as some people thought, but still um, fairly hot here. It just does feel a bit exhausted. It bounced off that uptrend that had been in place from those lows that was basically, what, 50, 60 bips or something like that. Um, just that overhead resistance, really interesting here. You know, 177 was the high um, back in March. It's just, uh, you know, again, if the Fed pushes forward with this taper, might we see rates back up towards those levels? Sure. I just don't see him, Guy, going meaningfully above 2% in this kind of economic environment where I do believe a lot of these price pressures and a lot of these bottlenecks and all this stuff with the supply chains, I think a year from now, we're probably going to be looking at some of the trends that we saw pre-pandemic. I just don't see rates going that much higher when you think of global sovereign debt loads and where they are, big guy. You mentioned uh, fairly hot CPI. You know who's not fairly hot. You know who is white hot for the <laughs> second week in a row. That would be Carter Braxtonworth. CBW, how are you, man? Man, good I to am, have you back. I am darn good. How are you, man? I'm great. Yeah, you, you heard us, a lot of. Uh, you heard us ahead, waxing but... poetic here, and we're going to talk about Apple. Our first call in a second, but you're not a one-trick pony either. Talk to us about what your thoughts are, broader market here, in terms of what's been going on. Right. You've covered so many of the important points. I mean, the, the thing that, that has to be said is we know that the Russell 
sideways action, think about it, it peaked on the 15th of March, right? And here we are the 15th of October. That is a function of the preceding move. The move that preceded it, it was one of the steepest moves on record, one of the longest moves without a check back to the 150 moving average. And on a relative basis to the S&P, it was the widest six and 12 months spread ever recorded. So the rest is normal. And what nobody knows, despite all the work we might try, is whether it is going to break out or break down. At this point, we just have to go with it as it develops. Yeah, you know, Carter, that's one that, you know, Guy has brought this up a little bit that, you know, we've seen these bounces off the uptrends when you've seen the, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ correct a little bit. And we just had the largest peak to trough decline of the year over the last, let's say, five, five and a half weeks or so. How do you think about, um, you know, buying those dips versus trying to play something that has like the Russell 2000 that has been going sideways? I mean, do you kind of get pro positively like predisposed exposed here at this point that it's building for a breakout because it's taken all the hits and it still just goes sideways. Right. So the, the, the question again is, is there's two types of weakness, right? There's weakness to take advantage of and there's weakness to stay away from. So generally speaking, we know the S&P, call it the market, peaked on the uh, 2nd of September and quite some time has passed and it's still sort of stalled, not really getting on its feet. We just heard from the greatest uh, banks in the world and good numbers, bad price action. So my hunch is that we can get as high as there is that one unfilled gap from September 27th, right? That's at 44.36. We're close. And then we fill that. But that's exactly where that downtrend line that you drew, right? That down uh, red line, that's where that comes into play. I think it's tough to get uh, beyond that. We like to do analyst calls, CBW, and we're thrilled to have you on board. Everybody says Apple's the most important stock in the world. I don't know. I think it's Microsoft. It doesn't matter because Morgan Stanley just reiterated Apple is an overweight. I believe um, she is the axe. A lot of people talk about her being the name in this space. $168 price target. We've seen the pullback. I thought the stock actually traded remarkably well on the back of that news from Tuesday night. What are your thoughts here on Apple before we take a look at the chart? I mean, uh, talk about also something that's sort of without any character. It's not particularly bullish. Uh, it's not particularly bearish. Sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with it, it's just the way things are. Sometimes an opportunity doesn't exist. Is it, would we rush out and say, we've got to short this thing. This is about to plunge like certain retail. No. And it, what about the circumstance, fundamental or technical? Uh, suggests we've got to we've got to double our position. We got to get big as we have ever been. There's nothing. It's interesting. The fundamentals matter in Apple, and Dan's pointed them out a lot. The, the fundamentals, if you really look at it, if you just look at the earnings growth, it's really not there to support this valuation. Dan, thoughts on the fundamentals? Then we can take a look at this Apple well, chart. Yeah, you know, guy, you just started this conversation by saying many people think it's the most important stock in the world, and that's because it's the largest market cap company in the world. And then, you know, it was basically for years trading below a market multiple because of its reliance on hardware. Now, obviously, the mix shift of the revenues has changed a lot towards higher margin services and the multiple reflects that it's trading about 25 times and you just mentioned growth guy i mean listen you know for 2022 um you know analysts expect like basically low single single digits earnings and sales growth and that's just really expensive on a pe to growth here so um you know to me i think that the fundamental headlines this week about production delays of some of these new products um come at a time where you know the products are 
are kind of iterative if you think about that new iPhone um, in a way. So, you know, I, I think they probably have some more room to the downside, especially if we continue to chop around here. I just don't see an evaluation basis and expectations for next year's earnings and sales growth um, it to be meaningful unless you tell me that they're about ready to be at a margin inflection, which I'm not so sure they are. Yeah, it's interesting. We've seen a number of, you pointed this out then, a number of anywhere from 15 to 35% peak to trough declines over the last three and a half years. I think we're in the midst of one now. I mentioned that it traded well yesterday, Carter, on the back of Tuesday's news. Do you have any thoughts on this chart? What is it telling you, CB dubs? Right. So what we know is it, as is the case with most uh, super cap families, it had that blow off peak in September uh, more than a year ago. And basically after making an incremental new high, we're back to that level. So the, the concept of support is in play and stock is down to support. I've drawn the green arrow that way, thinking you get a bit of a bounce here. Um, but it, it's, I would say it's a small long, like it's not exciting. It's, uh, it's, but it's important to say this, is this something that I would say we've got to short this? I don't see a lot of risk in that setup, in that chart. You bring a lot of things with you, CBW. You have a lot of tools in your tool bag. You brought an SMH chart. Talk to me about this, sir. Yes. Well, one thing we know, what is the point of a moving average? If I didn't have that purple line on there, and, and look how that uh, jumps out. It's really a nice fact set chart. You could draw a trend line instead. The point is a moving average is an automated trend line. We could draw lines all day long. It takes a lot of time where you can try to have an automated trend line down to support, right? Down to trend. And I think you get a bounce here. The real question is, is the rate of change abating? Yes. You see how it's not quite as much torque as it's had over the preceding uh, 12 months, six months. So, um, it almost needs to bounce here because if it doesn't, and this is important, the 150 million average will flatten. And that would be the definition of change in trend. I could hear you say torque every single day. You know, a lot of people don't realize I actually worked at this next company for a day. I was voted uh, salesperson and employee of the month, having worked there one day. Stiefel upgrades UPS. You know what? I actually sort of like this call. Um, this stock has been obliterated recently, as has FedEx. I think they're getting ahead of earnings which makes sense. The stock has sold off significantly. Dan Nathan, thoughts on this steeple upgrade? Yeah, you know, this is before earnings season. We know that we saw FedEx's earnings back in September. The stock had, uh, you know, a massive gap lower on disappointing guidance here. And, you know, these stocks have generally traded fairly similarly. I would just say this, that the, you know, the XLI, the um, the industrial ETF that both of these guys are components of, it just trades poorly. It has not confirmed a new high in the S&P 500 in a very long time. I think Garter can kind of speak to that. And I think FedEx's inability to kind of really make any um, real progress since that big gap. It kept on going lower. It doesn't even feel like it wants to fill in that gap. So I give fundamental analysts a lot of, um, you know, a lot of credit for sticking their neck out there before earnings season, before what is clearly shaping up to be a, a, you know earnings visibility period that's as clear as mud. I think someone else, I think Carter just used that expression here. Um, but, you know, to me, the valuation is always interesting. If things do get back on track and we do have more visibility about global growth and the like, I mean, UPS and FedEx should do better. They're cheap stocks. It just doesn't feel like it's time right now. Let's take a look at that chart because the average price target for analysts is about $219.50-ish. Obviously, we're significantly lower than that now. Carter, your thoughts because it looks as though maybe we did bounce and maybe we're going to start filling yeah. gaps to the upside. All right. So, I mean, the colors are nice. We got a red, we got the blue, <laughs> right? But, and that sometimes it, 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 it's important to say that. The truth is, 
I mean, this is a sell-off to support. And then not only that, what do we accomplish? We filled the gap. The gap was what? Something fundamental that caused it to break out. So one, the gap is filled. Two, we're back to the level from where fundamental information got better. And if GARP exists, so to speak, we're getting a discount. Uh, I think it's a better uh, long than a short. So, guys, you saw what he did there. It was growth at a reasonable price, not the last movie that you saw in in, in the theaters, you know, the world according to GARP. That was, uh, was that a fun, that was a fun, like, financial analysis book that you did back in the day. That's that's very that's very amusing. Yeah. I like what you did there. Wasn't the, the Robin Williams genius, by the way? I happen to see Ben Affleck and Matt Damon on Jimmy Fallon, who is miserable. But I digress. But I <laughs> love that movie that they both did together, which Robin Williams was in. I watch you, Dan Nathan. You don't just do CNBC. You don't just do that. You do a piece for Fidelity every week. And I noticed that the one that dropped. You talked about Verizon. We have a little segment that we like to call the trade-off. And this is really interesting. We're going to talk some telecom stocks. Dan, I think you've made a bullish call in Verizon. You know, we talk about something, and I'm interested to hear what Carter, catching a falling knife. I really hate that term, but I think it really exemplifies, and you can visualize what that means. You said to buy Verizon on your final call. Talk to me about this, and then we're going to go to CBW, seeing if he has similar views. Yeah, you know, listen, I, I love doing, you know, I love using the options market to express views and to do it with defined risk. And so yesterday on Fidelity's in the Money and my weekly that I do with them, you know, we talked about just some of the weak price action in some of these telcos. And Verizon, to me, you know, just the move that it had over the last, let's say, week or so, down like 7% in a straight line, it seemed like something just kind of got unhinged there a little bit. Um, we'll look at all the charts. And we'll definitely get Carter's take on the idea of buying weakness. But the way I looked at Verizon here is that 5% dividend yield. This company has been divesting a lot of things, uh, you know, different parts of their business. And it just looked like a near-term opportunity to take a shot, to find your risk, play for a couple months, move higher. And, you know, risking it for an at-the-money call, risking 3 or 4% over two months seemed like a good risk reward there, especially with what I think is a big disconnect going on here. If you watch CNBC's Fast Money, which I typically do or participate in, I've said for years that AT&T is just grim debt. There's no compelling reason to own it. People point to the dividend. But I think this chart will show you exactly what I've been talking about. You're at multi-year lows, Carter Worth. And for the life of me, I can't figure out what the catalyst is going to be to break this trend. Talk to me about AT&T. You know, talk about grim. I mean, grim is the word. So let's just... uh there's again, I, I, if, if one could put it in this context, there are two types of weakness. There's weakness to take advantage of, and there's weakness to stay away from. So, a sale sign in a beautiful store where the cashmere sweaters are 1100 now down to 800 If nothing, they just have too many yellow sweaters. That's weakness to take advantage of. But discounts, how about discount sushi? No thanks. That's rotten fish. <laughs> the point is, this is weakness to stay away from. You don't want to stop. And then, just for what it's worth, let's be clear here they cut the dividend. Now, that was the first cut. They've hiked for 36 years. And here's the ultimate irony. They paid a dividend for 125 years, having never missed. And guess when they cut it? In 1999. And the stock peaked in 99. I would mm. never buy this. I would never buy this. As the great Rod Stewart said, the first cut is, in fact, the deepest. Dan, let's take a look at the chart you want to take a look at, which comes out VZ Verizon. 
Yeah, again, it's horrible. I get it. It's not nearly as horrible as AT&T. Let's just be very clear here. And I think AT&T is involved in a whole host of things of repositioning this company for the next 100 years. I just looked at this thing. It was trading about $51. It was trading about 55 about a week and a half ago. And I was looking at a slightly out of the money call in December expiration. It costs less than a dollar. You do the math, guy. Even you can do the math yeah, sure. on a 50 or so dollar stock here. I just like the risk reward. So I'm playing it one way. Carter's playing it the other way. That's why we got a trade off. But you break the, you break this tie here, guy, because you've been all over pounding the table. I feel like for years on T Mobile, it comes out what? It comes out TMUS and quickly. Listen, this obviously has sold off significantly over the last few weeks. And maybe it's a function of the other two. It's just getting lumped together. But T Mobile's been the clear winner. You just overlay. Those two charts we just looked at with the T-Mobile chart, there's no denying that T-Mobile has been the stock to own. And this sell-off to me is providing another opportunity. So trade-off with Carter, trade-off with Dan, and then G-Swizz brings in his TMUS, and we got our next segment with the great John Butters. I know you thought we forgot about Butters. We did not. He's a stud, one for the road, profit margins. Dan, speak to me about this, because this is as important as it gets. Margins are everything in this environment. You know, I spent a lot of time with you throughout the week, Guy Dami, and rarely do you get as geeked up as you do when you get to say John Butters, and we get an early look at his earnings insight that comes out um, every Friday. And, you know, I think this is really important. We were talking about earnings season. We were talking about inflation. You know, the whole margin structure, right, of the of the market or the companies that make up the market is a key determinant in valuations and kind of how we see profitability going forward. And, you know, when I read stuff like John has in his weekly here that we're, we're reaching basically profit margins, you know, not seen since 2008. I, there's one word that goes ding, ding, ding in my head and it's peak. Okay. And when I hear peak margins, I think about stocks that are probably too expensive if we have a market that is up a whole heck of a lot. And that's what we have right here. And when you throw in all of these pricing pressures and all this stuff, and I know that we can debate what transitory means until we're blue in the face, it just feels like we're about to get some disappointing guidance as it relates to profitability and the lack of visibility as we head into 2022 could be the thing that causes investors to continue to hit the pause button. Carter, in terms of input costs, you know, if you can continue to pass them on to the customer, your margins are going to be fine. But if you have to eat them, those margins go away. Thoughts before we get out of here, before we Audi 5000, as the kids say. That's right. Margins are everything. And a lot of it is peak, as Dan said. But at the end of the day, a market goes up for one of two reasons. Earnings growth or multiple expansion. What about the next 12 months suggest that robust earnings growth or margin expansion, multiple expansion? I don't think you get any of it. Fascinating. I dig you. Unbelievable. We hit it on the screws. Listen, we're going to go to Mark Lair in a second. If you watch this program, stick around for the doubleheader, the CEO of Open Exchange. I dig him. Mark Lair, he's going to sit down with ex-director of research of City, Jonathan Rosenzweig, and host of the OE program, Deep Dive. It's the inside story of taking SPACs public now that uh, JR, we call him, because it's hard to say Jonathan Rosenzweig twice, is the CFO of the recent SPAC IPO home plate acquisition, a SPAC for fintech and embedded finance companies. Google Open Exchange TV for more info, people. Now it's time for me to say goodbye. I mean, wow. 
You see how geeked up I am. Here we go. Thank you, Liz Young, head of investment strategy at SoFi. You know where to find her on Twitter, and her weekly work is a must-read. And the great chart master, Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charts. You are the man two weeks in a row. And Dan Nathan, you're always with me, brother. It's always great to have you as well. I'm taking a breath. Right. Today's episode of Market Call was brought to you by our <laughs> presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings. Dan? That matter. Hey, listen, guy, it's worth charting and it's worth having Carter on as much as we can get him. So, you guys, check out his work. It's on the web, worthcharting.com, Carter Braxton Worth. Thanks a lot, Carter. It was amazing to have you with you. Thanks to our sponsors. And, guy, Nice work today, buddy. Hey, listen, we grinded it out, but it was a win. Put it in the left-hand column. We'll see you next Thursday, the 21st of October. Later.